0: As we resume our Bible study this morning, please open up your Bibles to the book of Malachi chapter 2 to verse 17. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 17. 2 verse 17. Give me a thumbs up when you found it. All right. The microphone's still on. Now the recorder's going. The little humming stopped. All's good. Malachi chapter 2 verse 17 says. You. Uh oh. Who's the you? We're talking about the priests. The priests that are teaching the people the word of God incorrectly. God has given the priests The authority and the responsibility to teach the word of God to the people. And they're showing partiality for the rich and powerful. They're taking lame sacrifices, blind sacrifices, even stolen sacrifices. And saying, oh, that's good enough. What does God care? So verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say... And here's the fifth time the people question God. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, here's the answer. The Lord says, here's how you've wearied me. In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? Okay, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. What do they mean by everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord? It means they're saying good is evil and evil is good. Hey, I'm glad that doesn't describe America today, right? (laughs) Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In other words, they do not want to teach and follow the word of God. They want to do the opposite of whatever God told them to do. It's an attitude of how dare God think he can tell me what to do? I'll do what I want, I'll do whatever is good in my eyes. How does God like that attitude? Not one bit. So let's go back to Malachi chapter 2 verse 17. And he says, in that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in, he takes pleasure in sin. He takes pleasure in iniquity and lawlessness. Is there anything in the scripture that makes you think, hey, that's not Right. Did we look recently at Matthew chapter 7, verse 23? Let's just look quickly. Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. You don't have to turn many pages to get to Matthew 7, do you? Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. After saying in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, he explains that further in verse 23, the Lord does, and says, and then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Put this in context, when does this take place? On judgment day, Uh uh-oh. What are the two possible judgments? Enter into the rest of my father or enter into the lake of fire? So when it says depart from me, are these guys getting promoted to the heavenlies? Are they getting demoted to the lake of fire? The word practice doesn't mean an occasional error, does it? It means the way you live your life is one of lawlessness where you do not care about the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. Is that like saying you call evil good and good evil? Daniel mentioned back when we were in elementary school. Everybody remembers that? (laughs) Long time ago for some of us. Did we study Roman mythology? Did we study Grecian mythology? Did we study the scriptures? No. Now wait a minute. Why, why is it okay to study pagan religions but not the true religion? What are we calling but evil good and good evil? Hmm. And then it goes on back to Malachi chapter 3 verse 17. Or where is the God of justice? By that they mean the wicked prosper. The wicked are getting wealthy. The wicked live in big houses. They have nice cars, big boats. So what does it matter if we walk in sin? Because if God's going to bless us with wealth and power and riches, why should we do what's right? You know, it's almost like they're saying. When he says "They delights in them, That's exactly what they're saying is if God didn't delight in them, wouldn't they be poor and miserable and persecuted? Um, sometimes we think God is not fair. And what does God say when we say that? Yes, yeah, my way not good, your way not bad. In other words, don't you call me wicked. You're the wicked one. Okay. Okay. Let's get on with chapter 3 of Malachi. Here's where we start getting into end times prophecy. Verse 1 says, Behold, as Daniel talked about, that means shut up and listen. Pay attention. This is too important to miss. I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Who is the messenger there? John. John the Baptist, otherwise known as being in the spirit and the power and the role of Elijah, who prepared the way before me, me as Messiah, Elijah, John the Baptist was the one who prepared the way. Now, is John the Baptist a reincarnation of Elijah? No, God doesn't do reincarnation. So let's turn over, keep your finger here, because we're coming back to Luke chapter 1. Do we have to guess that the messenger there is talking about John the Baptist? No, we just have to go read. Luke chapter 1. If you want to know when Messiah was actually born, you've got to read Luke chapter 1 about the birth of John the Baptist. Hmm. Because he was the forerunner. How much older is John the Messiah? Six, Six months. months. John was born at Passover. Hmm. Where does that put Messiah's birth? at Tabernacles, which is six months later. So if you're there in Luke chapter 1, let's start in verse 13. It says, But the angel said to him, him His name was Zechariah, Zechariah, the Lord remembers. His wife's name was Elizabeth, Elisheva, which means the oath of God. Put them together, the Lord remembers God's oath. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Notice there's an S on it. That's because it's translated out of the Greek. And Greek puts an S on all men's names. That's why Peter in Greek is Petros. Luke is Lucas, Yeshua is Jesus. People wonder where that S on the end comes from. It just means it's a masculine noun. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. Oh, Zechariah's in interpraying, praying, Lord, Lord, please give us a child. Uh-uh. He's praying the Amidah, which includes Malachi, Prayer for the Forerunner of Messiah. And that's the prayer that gets answered. It says, In your wife Elizabeth, Elishava will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. What a nice English name. In Hebrew it's <laughs> Yochanan. And it comes from the word for comfort. How does John bring comfort? He preaches repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and prepares the way for the Messiah. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. Why? Because it means who's about to come. Messiah is about to come. Let's get excited. How do you know Messiah is about to return? So let's get excited. Four. What does four mean? Because he will be great in the sight of the Lord. What's that mean? He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. Is he going to be a drunken sinner walking through no he's going to be a nazirite as a matter of fact that's the next verse next phrase and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink he's a nazirite a nazirite vow was normally a vow that was taken at your decision and you decided for how long i'll be a nazirite for a month two months a year and at the start of the vow you shaved all the hair off your head and you bathe, you had a mikveh, and then you can't drink any wine, you can't even eat a grape or anything made from grapes. For the entire time you're under the vow, and you complete the vow, normally at the Feast of Shavuot, with a sacrifice, and you burn the hair that you shave off that grew during the vow on the sacrifice. And that's what Paul's doing in the book of Acts. And when he pays the expenses for the others who took the vow, means he buys their animals for sacrifice when he buys his. So he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be a Nazarite. He doesn't get to choose. From his birth, he will never have a cup of wine in this lifetime. says he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. His mother, Elizabeth, was six months pregnant. When Mary, just having conceived Messiah, walks in, what does the baby do? Leaps in the womb. Six months in the womb. Three months yet from being born. That lump of tissue was smarter than... Well, let me not go there. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Keep a finger here. Don't lose it. Go back to Malachi 3 again. What is he supposed to do? Go to Malachi 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now go back to Luke 1, verse 16. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Hey, you thought it was turning them to their earthly fathers, right? No, it was turning them back to their heavenly father. Verse 17. Is he Elijah reincarnated? No. He will also go before him, before Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah. He has the role of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. How does he prepare the people for the Lord? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yes, sir. If I go back to Malachi 4, If I look at what it says in verse 4, the verse before I started to read, it says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant. He was able to turn the hearts of the children back to the Father and the Father to the children by bringing repentance to the people so that they would turn back to God. And what does God say He does when you turn back to Him? He turns back to you. Remember that? Yeah? Okay. And so he's charging them to remember his commandments, statutes, and judgments. Wait a minute, I thought they were abolished. No, they weren't. What did Messiah say just one chapter later in Matthew 4, 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now remember, the Ten Commandments is what we call them because the church decided to call them something different than what the Lord called them. He called them the Ten Words. Devarim. Devarim. The word devar means word. So you could say sayings, that's the less literal, but it gets the point across. Every word means every commandment, including the ten and all the others. Okay, back to Luke 1. Verse 17 He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. What is the wisdom of the just? Daniel has been teaching on knowledge and wisdom. To remind them of the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God, Messiah said in Matthew 5, 17, I came to fully preach the law, not to break it, not to keep us from having to do it, but to make sure we clearly understood it. Because the scribes and Pharisees, according to Messiah, were they teaching the law of God or their man-made rules and regulations? That's Mark chapter 7 and Matthew 15. In vain they worship me, teaching his doctrine the commandments of men. So carrying on in Luke chapter 1. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Why did he say repent? It was repent, comma, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning it's near, it's being offered to you. Verse 18, and Zachariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? That's never something you say to an angel. In other words, he says, I want a sign. And the angel gave him one. What was it? He couldn't speak until John the Baptist was born. Can you imagine How many of you would like to keep your mouth shut for nine months? No. Okay. And this is how you know he wasn't praying for a son. That's exactly right. Let us look also at Matthew chapter 17. Because there's probably somebody out there saying, well, I don't know, Wayne. So let's go look and see what Messiah said. In John chapter 17. Matthew Matthew chapter 17. Yeah, I'm going to talk about John in a minute. Sorry. Matthew chapter 17. Yeah. Peter, James, and John get to see the same thing that Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter six. They get to see Messiah come in the kingdom. Verse seven, chapter 17, verse one says, now after six days, what comes after six days? The seventh day. These six days representing 6,000 years from creation till the day of the Lord, the seventh day, the day of the Lord, when Messiah comes with his kingdom. Yeshua took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, which makes you think of which Old Testament chapter? Ezekiel chapter 43. When Messiah returns, he bears the glory of God. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Who appeared? Moses and Elijah. Who are the two witnesses? moses and elijah then peter answered and said to yeshua lord it is good for us to be here if you wish let us make here three tabernacles for you three sukkot why would he offer to make sukkot because the feast of tabernacles teaches about the establishment of the kingdom here comes messiah to establish the kingdom he said let me make three sukkas for you one for you one for moses one for elijah while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, the Lord said that in Matthew chapter three, but there's something else added here. Yeah. Hear him, exclamation mark, which refers back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, where God promised a prophet like Moses and said, If you won't hear him, I will what? I'll require it of you, right? I'll hold you responsible for it. You will obey him. You'll answer him or you'll pay for it. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Yeshua came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Yeshua only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Yeshua commanded them saying, what's that word saying? It's a quote, tell the vision to no one. What's a vision? They saw the future. Until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. How come they wrote it in the book? They didn't write the book until after Messiah had risen from the dead. Disciples ask him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? They say that because of Malachi. Yeshua answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. That's talking about at the second coming. Elijah is one of the two witnesses. We just saw that. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. That is because John the Baptist was in the role and power of Elijah. Says, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the son of man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So how do we know what's really talking about John the Baptist? Messiah told us in his own words. Now let's go back to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 3. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. In verse 1, you, you see, Nachamu, on me, Comfort, comfort my people. What did I say the name John comes from? Which word? From the word Nachamu, from comfort. Yohanan, Nachamu, you hear that? Verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness... Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Do those words sound familiar? Let's go to Matthew 3. Matthew 3. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. In those days, what days? No, it's not the day of the Lord. It's the 40 days of Teshuvah. It's the 40 day period from the first day of Elul until Yom Kippur. For that 40 days of Teshuvah, which means repentance, what is the theme? Repentance. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. What is a wilderness? It's a desert. In Jewish thought, it's a habitation for demons. Odd place to find a prophet. And saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now you know why he's in the wilderness. He's talking to people that are so dry, they're not full of the Holy Spirit. Their hearts are far from God. He's trying to turn them back to God. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is he, he being John, who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. How would you like to find a Bible verse in here that says, This is about Melissa, or this is about Ron. Well here, Isaiah had prophesied this 700 years or so, before John the Baptist was born why does God tell us things like that hundreds of years in advance to show that he is God because only he can tell us the end from the beginning I used to be impressed that in the book of Isaiah God named Cyrus is the one who would overthrow Babylon about 125 years before he was born until I saw in First Kings 13, he names Josiah 400 years before he's born. How can God do that? Does he flip a coin? Does he look in a crystal globe? No, he's not trapped in time like we are. He knows the end. Because who wrote it? He did. Alright, let's look also at Matthew chapter 11, verse 10. Matthew chapter 11, verse 10. Referring again to John the Baptist says, For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. That's from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. So look at how much testimony we have in the New Testament that these Old Testament scriptures really are talking about John. So look at Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. For context, we'll start in 26. This is the Passover Seder that Messiah has a day early, then all of Israel will celebrate the Seder. Because there's an old Jewish prophecy that's not in the scriptures, it's in the Jewish writings. That says, what are these elements of the Passover Seder? Why do we do these things like the unleavened bread? We dip things in bitters. Why do we do that? The answer is when Messiah comes, he will explain what the elements of the Passover Seder mean. So he wants to make sure when the disciples celebrate the Passover the tomorrow, they will think about his death, burial, and resurrection as they do. So verse 26, and as they were eating... Yeshua took bread. That's the matzah that had been broken. Symbolic of his crucifixion. Blessed. We know the blessing, right? Everybody say it. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Lechem Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. What did he say about his body? He is the bread of life. This is talking about his resurrection. And broke it symbolic of his crucifixion and gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body is he giving them physical human flesh no what if he did he'd be a sinner and his death would mean nothing then he took the cup it's the third cup of the Passover Seder we know because of what they just told us where in the meal it comes what is that cup been called from time immemorial the cup of redemption saying drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins so let us go back to malachi 3 and see why this is important why it's relevant go back to malachi 3 we didn't finish reading through verse 1 so behold i send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple what does the word suddenly imply? Happens, Happens quickly, but also unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't have been unexpectedly because Daniel chapter 9 told us exactly when it would be. You know that? Keep a finger here. Turn back to Daniel chapter 9. So why didn't the people know? What's that? Where did they put Daniel in the Tanakh? They put it in the writings, not in the prophets. How many people do you know that spend their life studying the writings? Like Chronicles. Yeah, not too many. So look at Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 26. Just real briefly. Or over the next three weeks. We'll find out. Verse 1 says, 70 weeks. No, it doesn't. Weeks is Shavuot. This is Shavuim means seventy sevens. It's a group of seven years. Every week there are six days, then the Sabbath day. When it comes to years, there are six years, then the Sabbath year. That group is a Shavuim. So every one of these 70 groups of years begins on a year one and ends on a Sabbath year. So 70 groups of, 70, of seven years are determined for your people, that's Israel. For your holy city, that's Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, to make it into sins. So it's not just Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection, but it's also the nation coming to salvation. To make reconciliation for iniquity. Another term for iniquity is lawlessness. To bring an everlasting righteousness. How long does God's righteousness last? everlasting, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. People say, well, the most holy is Messiah. No, we're talking about the holy of holies in the temple. Who will dedicate the millennial temple? Messiah will. Which means at the end of these 490 years, Messiah will have been crucified, buried, resurrected, will have returned, established the temple, and set up his kingdom. Wow! But the 490 years are not consecutive. They're in three groups. The first group, verse 25, Know therefore and understand. Why does it say know therefore and understand? Explanation. Yeah, if God didn't explain it to us, we'd be looking at that going, I don't know what that means. <laughs> know therefore and understand the going, from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Who gave that command? Was it Cyrus when he said, you can go back and build the temple? No. It was Artaxerxes Longeminus, the son of Queen Esther, who gave the command to go back and restore the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. From that point until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks. That's 49 years. That's how long it took to rebuild the temple and the city of Jerusalem. And then there shall be 62 weeks. Which brings us to what? How many? 483 years. At the end of that 483 years, it says in verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, so the end of the 483 years, Messiah shall be cut off. What's it mean to be cut off? It means to be killed. But not for himself. Was he killed because he was a sinner? No. He was killed because you and I are sinners. He died for us. And the people of the prince who is to come, that prince who is to come is the false Messiah. The people of the prince to come is the Romans. They shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So it has to happen after Messiah is crucified that the city of Jerusalem must be destroyed. Messiah died in 30 common era. Jerusalem destroyed how many years later? 40 years. 40 is the time of testing. They had 40 years to decide that their atonement and their salvation and their redemption comes not through works of their hands, but through Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection. And then God took away the temple and said, okay, now, since without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, now what are you going to do? You got a choice. You can accept Messiah's shed blood or... So the Messianic Jews split and went to Pella and Jordan, and the non-Messianic Jews went to Yavne, down around the Gaza Strip, and said, well, since we don't have the sacrifices, we don't have the shedding of blood, we'll just earn our salvation through prayers and good works. We don't need blood, even though God says we do. Well, he's wrong. Okay, how'd that work out? People are beginning to realize today and more and more Jewish people are coming to faith all over the world. Okay. The end of it shall be with a flood till the end of the war. Desolations are determined. There's still seven years to go. It's been almost 2,000 years and there's still seven years to go. What do we call that final seven years? The tribulation period. Verse 27, then he, referring back to the prince, to the false messiah, the antichrist, the beast of Revelation 13, shall confirm a covenant, doesn't mean to confirm it really, it means to make it bigger and strong and put military forces behind it, so confirm it isn't so bad a word, with many for one of those seven year periods. It has to start with the year one, it has to end in a Sabbath year. And we know the rest of what it says. Mm Okay, let's go back to Malachi chapter 3 before I forget why we came here. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger. That's John the Baptist. To prepare the way before me. That's Messiah. And the Lord, that's Messiah whom you seek. Does it say in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Yeshua? He is the Lord whom you seek. Will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold he is coming. Says the Lord of hosts. When it says he is coming says the Lord of hosts. Does that mean Messiah's first coming was to be the conclusion of the whole matter? Or no. There's a second coming. Go back to Isaiah chapter 9. Not everything in the scripture is in the Peshat. The Peshat means the literal, just read the words and what do they say. Sometimes there's more to them. That's where the Sod comes in, the deeper meaning. We knew the verses, we just didn't comprehend the full meaning. And it says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, lanu, For unto us a child is born, a yelad is a baby boy, born of a woman. Unto us a son is given. That word son, bane, is not a baby. So there's time between the first phrase and the second phrase. What well, we didn't realize, 2700 years ago, there's 2,000 years between them. And the government will be upon his shoulder. Is that at the first coming or the second? Second, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Take that comma out between wonderful and counselor. There's all kinds of scripture that we won't get into right now that says if you will listen to the counsel of God, how much happier you're going to be. Mighty God, there's El Gabor. What did Nimrod call himself? A Gabor. He wanted to be God. In fact, The sun god and the son of the sun god is a reference to Nimrod. And Samarimus was his wife. She becomes Ishtar, the queen of heaven. Like Daniel said, that's where pagan idolatry comes down from. The worship of the mother and child called Madonna years and years and centuries before the Catholic Church was about Samarimus and Tammuz, who was her husband reborn as her son. Yeah, you're all going, Ooh, yes, that's kind of gross. Were they a product of the fallen angels then? Were they a product of the fallen angels? No, they were the product of Esau. And Esau's son, There. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I kind of forgot where I was going. Let's continue. Isaiah six. He's called Everlasting Father, which is not correct. This is a word pair. Aviad means the Father of Eternity, meaning he's the one who created all things. In the beginning, and the one who holds it together, as it says in John 1 and Colossians chapter 1. And then he Sar Shalom. It says, You're a Prince of Peace, but don't think of Prince as the son of a king. The word Sar means somebody who's a commander, who's a chief, somebody who's in charge of something. So he's the one who brings peace to the earth. What did Daniel read in Isaiah 11? No hurt in my holy mountain. Isaiah 2, Micah 4 say, They won't learn war anymore says the babies will play with poisonous snakes. Don't do that today, please. Okay. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. Is that his first coming or second? It so says second. That word increase in Hebrew is lamarbe. Just write that down, lamarbe, and, and circle that M sound. In Hebrew, there are only 22 letters, but five look different at the end of a word. They're called Sophit, S O F I T, Sophit. One of those five is the letter MAME, which makes the M sound. When it's at the end of a word, it looks like a closed box. And this is the only verse in the entire Bible that has a closed MAME, a final Sophit form, in the middle of a word. Before the birth of Messiah, the Jewish sages, scholars said that indicates that Messiah will be born of a virgin. That that final maim in the middle of the word is the sign of a closed womb of a virgin. So today Jewish people may say, no, the Bible doesn't say he was to be born of a virgin. But that's not what they taught 2,000 years ago. Not until they got down to Yavn and said, boy, we got to find some way that people won't see that Yeshua is the Messiah. Okay, back to Malachi 3, verse 1. Behold, he is coming. Now, do you see why we went to Matthew chapter 21? Some of you are going, nope. Okay. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Malachi 3 promised Messiah was coming. That he would come suddenly to the temple. And he did. He came suddenly. The people didn't recognize him for who he was. Not the common people. Many of them did. But we're talking about the leadership. Those who cried crucify him, crucify him. He had to die though. To shed that blood. That was necessary for the salvation for you and me. See that word new. In new covenant. In my Bible, there's an asterisk after it that the publishers put. There are two Greek words for new that are used in the New Testament. One is neos, N-E-O-S, and it means brand new. The other is kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S, and that one means renewed or made fresh again. So this is the blood that renews the covenant that God made Of salvation. In the covenant at Mount Sinai. The blood of the covenant was the blood of animals. The blood of bulls and goats and lambs etc. The renewed covenant. Is covered by the blood of Messiah. The blood of animals can't take away sin. But what did John call Messiah? The Lamb of God who. Takes away away the sin of the world. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11.25 1 Corinthians 11.25 And as usual we need an introduction to it for context so we'll start in verse 23. 1 Corinthians is all about the Passover. Keep a finger in 1 Corinthians 11. Just turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 12.2 says you know that you were Gentiles. So the believers at the church at Corinth are believers out of the Gentile world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 7, it says, Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Well, some of us are lumpier than others, but that's beside the point. Mm-hmm. Since you truly are leaven, for indeed Messiah, our Passover, the word Passover means the lamb that is sacrificed at Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast. What feast? Passover. Because Messiah died for us, whether we're Jew or Gentile, who should keep the Passover, remembering the Lord's sacrifice? Is everybody. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 11 to verse 23. For I received from the Lord. Who taught Paul for those years? The Lord did. That which I also delivered to you that the Lord Yeshua on the same night in which he was betrayed, that's the night he had the Passover Seder, where he explained the elements to the disciples, took bread, which bread was it? The matzah, which piece of matzah? The afikoman, that which had been broken, wrapped up in linen cloth and hidden away until after the meal when it's brought out, symbolic of resurrection, Verse 24, and when he had given thanks, the same blessing we all know, he broke and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, not this piece of bread, that which symbolizes his body that was broken on the cross, buried, and then on the third day raised back to new life for you, do this in remembrance of me, do What? Do communion every Sunday? No. The Passover Seder. When you do the Passover Seder, do it in remembrance of Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection, not just the Exodus. The Exodus was a picture, a physical deliverance from captivity. Messiah's death is the spiritual deliverance from captivity to sin. Verse 25, In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. That's the third cup, the cup of redemption, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood, this do, as often as you drink in remembrance of me. So every time you celebrate the Passover, remember Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection. That's what the Passover lamb symbolized, was Messiah's death. The lamb sacrificed at Passover was the lamb. He was the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Did I hear somebody ask a question? Amen. I was, had the privilege of attending a particular church a couple weeks ago on a Sunday, uh-huh. and they actually believe that they're taking that bread and turning it into his body and the, the juice or wine is actually becoming his blood, and these people believe this. Yeah, it's called transubstantiation, and that doctrine teaches that the Lord gave human flesh and human blood to his disciples before his crucifixion Which, if that happened, would mean he died a sinner. And his death would mean nothing. Which is, remember, something that Paul told Timothy. That there would be doctrines that would arise that would deny the very Lord who bought us. Remember that? Yep. Fortunately for you, unfortunately for me, we've run out of time. We'll have to pick up next week, Lord willing. Continuing our look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. But at least we got almost through two verses.